talking about it. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. Hey, it's Hamilton Today. Hey. I'm Curtis Thompson, Scott's son. Ted and Diana are in the newsroom. Will is behind the board. Grey Cup week continues in the hammer. Time to take some empties back. Hey, here's Scott Thompson. There you go. I'm a little surprised at the Teddy pick today. See, see. <laughs> See? All right, Will. Will and I just made a bet that you would say, see, 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 uh-huh. and look at that. Someone's got to pay Will and I 20 bucks. We, we bet the same way. How come, uh, good how out- come there's always bets made and I'm never included in the winnings? Well, uh, we're not going to get paid either. Thank you. <laughs> You're going to get Will's share. Uh, Good afternoon. It is 310. It is 900 CHML. I'm Scott Thompson. It is Hamilton Today. Uh, Will Erskine on the board. Ted Michaels, Diana Weeks in the newsroom. Teddy so front and center today because not only are we theoretically within one week of Ted's uh, retirement coming up on next Wednesday, so feel free to walk in and out of the building and the door and whatever anytime you want. Mind you, like you, you know, you always do anyway. Uh, But but you picked the song and, you know, I was, I was, I wasn't expecting to hear you too. We'll leave it at that. Go ahead, explain yourself to the class. I just had it on today, coming into war, and if for one of the rare times, I actually sat and listened to the entire song. Just wow, and it really like it's powerful. And you know, you two is very underrated. I, from what I understand, and it's and then I came in and I had a moment and I checked out the video and I had forgotten the whole story about that. It's just really, really powerful like it moves you that song sends chills on my back i i this it's one of of eileen's favorite bands so i i've seen them more times than i have digits on my body uh but yeah i'm very surprised if you saying that perhaps ted this is you in the last week of it all you're getting retrospective you're getting reflective yep (laughs) i am actually good for you buddy as a matter of fact sorry as a matter of fact quick story today I had time. Uh, people were surprised uh, that I was doing it today. I had time. I brought in one of those, uh, you know, rubber plastic uh, tote things that you throw stuff in. I cleaned, right. I cleaned out what was in my bunk. It's all there. It's all nicely labeled. Two people, independent of each other, walked by, looked at the thing, and then they started almost crying when saying, you know what, wow. I can't believe you're leaving, and I'm really going to miss you. So it's it's already started. You know, I can't I, believe you still got a bunk. I'm yeah, well, <laughs> not anymore. What the heck is in there? A half-eaten like, bologna sandwich. Second, second, second. <laughs> oh my god, a half-eaten bologna sandwich. A half-eaten bologna sandwich. Go. That's right. Yeah. Anyway. Nineteen, uh, whatever. Yeah. Anyway, so well, uh, anytime yeah. you have an epiphany, anytime you have a story you want to tell over the next whatever, you just pop in. Doesn't matter who we have on, and you can share the story. Well, I'm not going to be gauche and interrupt an important guest. Oh, it? please do! It's all we have right now. Please. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's going to be it's going to be a fascinating week, and suck it all in, man. Enjoy it, cherish the moment, because uh, you know it only happens. You once. know what? It is so like it's so must um, be surreal surreal it's everything is now coming full bore it's like okay i've got this set i've got this set i've got this set it's it's like it's you know as you know blank just got real it's 
really yeah. staring me in the face now. It's staring me yeah. in the face. And you know what? I think this is, uh, I think this time in one's life, and again, don't know, I'm not there yet, but of, of people that I've talked to, this is just as big as a, of a change as it is when you become an adult, when you leave uh, uh, school or whatever and take on your first job. I think this is just as monumental uh, a point in your life, if not more so, and 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 is equally as uh, well. I think now you got years and years of stuff to reflect on. My God, it's it's incredible when you think about it. Yeah, and, and that's what I've been doing a lot is thinking about stuff, thinking about highlights, thinking about low life, thinking about stupid things that I've done. Um, it's <laughs> no as you know. We, us, were, we just had a uh, we just had a little uh, 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 what do you call it a Zoom call with all the staff just yeah. a few minutes ago prior yeah. to the show. Yeah. And of course they they did a little TED thing there. And you know I was looking at the pictures there. I'd forgotten that you got to carry the Olympic torch. That was fabulous. Yeah, what a Pan great Am moment torch. that yeah. must be yeah. in your life. It, 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 or sorry, the Pan, Pan Am Games yeah, torch. Yeah. Uh, Pan Am torch. Um, I I was writing stuff. On online and putting it on Facebook for a while. It was called the Monday Missives. Just look back at, at the career. So it's like, you know what? That was actually pretty cool because especially yeah. when I, all I was thinking when I was running with the four OPP officers at every corner, so just in case, um, so, you know, I don't know why. I Usually need, they're chasing you. Well, I didn't need security, but all I kept thinking is don't drop the torch. Yeah, Don't really. drop the yeah. torch. <laughs> or sneeze. <laughs> or, yeah. Out it goes. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. So Somebody that, get me a pick. That was really, really um, one of my one of my many career highlights. And when I, you know, you sit back, quick story, and you think to yourself, what have you accomplished? And it's, I was thinking to myself, you know what? Hasn't been all that bad. Well, you know, as, as you hark back and, and, you know, even I find myself doing this at time, from time to time, it's the experiences. It's the people that you meet, the, the, the places you've traveled to, where you've been, uh, and the experiences you get to do because you're in the media, things that you get to do that perhaps uh, you get a closer look at than, and, and certainly a different perspective than other people do when you're delivering the news. So it, it, it's, it's, it's a fascinating industry that way. It is, and I, you know, I take great delight. Diana Weeks, my cohort in the afternoon, she's covering some great cup stuff, and she came in in the newsroom today. She's got her pass, and she's got all of her stuff, and she's really excited. Yeah. And I thought, yeah. good for you, because I've covered 10 of them, and I really yeah. don't feel like doing it anymore. <laughs> good for her, and she's really excited, and the torch has been passed, so to speak. So good. There you go. All right, we're going to hear more of that all weekend into uh, next Wednesday. It is 315. Uh, it's Hamilton today. I'm Scott Thompson. <laughs> All right, uh, we're heading into winter, and obviously more people are moving indoors. We are starting to see uh, the rates of COVID-19 go up. Uh, 1,290 new cases uh, today. The good news is they're not being hospitalized, uh, or certainly as much, and uh, the hospital rates and ICU rates uh, stay uh, continue to be stable anyway uh, at this point, which is is good, and, and obviously we have to keep moving forward with vaccination and then the boosters uh, when they arrive. But in the last week, all of a sudden, uh, the topic has turned to testing, 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 testing. Why aren't we testing, testing, testing? So uh, what is the appropriate test? What is the accurate test? Why are we talking about it now uh, as opposed to two weeks ago or a month ago? Thomas Tenkate is with us, professor at the School of Occupational and Public Health, Ryerson University. And with us now, Thomas, thank you for the time. I hope you're well. Uh, yeah, I'm well. Thanks, Scott. Thanks for having me back. So lots of chatter around uh, testing, Tom. Is this warranted? Is it time to be testing? What should we be doing here as far as the testing front? 
Yeah, I definitely think that uh, I think it's a good time. You know, it's it's timely that we you know we're putting this back on the table. Uh, you know, I know that there's been a lot of discussion that we should have been uh, doing the rapid tests uh, more widely and and you know a lot lot earlier. Uh, you know, in other countries that they've the the rapid testing kits have been available and uh, you know across the board and and uh, you know people have them at their house and uh, you know they they're able to use it but you know before they sort of go into you know settings where they might have other people or, or whatever so so I definitely think you know it, it's a good time to be you know looking at this and 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 putting and I think we really need like from the perspective of if we want to have our kids still in school uh, you know in in the new year. I think we, you know, testing has to be one of the options and, and, and something as part of the overall arsenal of, of, of methods that we're using. Uh, you were saying, Thomas, it's time to start looking at this now. When is the appropriate time? Because you said some said do it earlier, but there's times when you do test uh, on mass. There's times when you don't for whatever reason. What is that? Yeah, well, like I think, you know, with with the rapid testing that, you know, there, there's sort of positives and negatives with it all. And uh, and I think, you know, what what they've sort of up until now, they've sort of said, well, let's uh, go with the other measures instead of going, you know, instead of adding this to to what we're doing. Uh, you know, the, 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 the you know, the one reason to do to use it at the moment is that the, the Delta variant is still the dominant one. And uh, and it, and because of the the, the sensitivity of the tests, uh, because they're not that sensitive, uh, it, the, they they are they are able to pick the delta variant up or, or the proteins associated with the delta variant quite easily because of because of because of the way it's it's structured and so so I think you know while it's still the dominant one the you know testing is is uh, is, is is you know uh, you know good to good to do and and whereas you know the 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 flip side is you know the cost and the logistics of of trying to implement it and particularly for around you know for school children and so so i think you know they they've really sort of tried to balance balance all of those factors whereas you know my sense is that we're at the point of the of the the pandemic that that you know the measures that we've used in the past you know have worked to an extent but we we if we're really trying to want to get this under control we well, i think it's 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 you know we need to add this extra layer onto it and and correct me if I'm wrong here, but rapid testing not as accurate as the PCR, uh, and the concern was false positives if there wasn't a, a, a large outbreak. However, when the outbreaks start to increase, that's when you use the rapid test. Is that accurate? Um, yeah. So so definitely the the rapid testing aren't is isn't as uh, accurate as the PCR, and and we're really using the the rapid test as a, as a screening test. Uh, that in the past they've said you know uh, you know we only we don't really want to we only want to use it in certain circumstances uh, but uh, I think you know what we're seeing from from other countries is that they've really introduced it as a more more widely used test and uh, you know I think uh, for, particularly you know for us I think the way to go is to sort of say well you know we've been using it in workplaces uh, and a lot of workplaces have been using it already and uh, then outside of workplaces, what is the you know the other sort of key setting to try and use this in? And I think schools are that schools are that setting, and right. particularly for the you know the the younger kids who who aren't as vaccinated, uh, you know the five to eleven year olds who are starting to uh, have that rolled out. I think this is a an additional measure that can could really help us be able to you know identify potentially infected 
people who otherwise wouldn't be be identified and and if you can do that then you know you you're uh you know particularly for schools you're then able to say well uh, you know then instead of having all the rest of the kids in the class you know self-isolate you could uh, go through the rapid testing and and you could sort of keep kids in school more more you know longer and so it's really both a a reactive uh, you know when there when there are sort of say outbreaks and and when there's there's cases, but also you can use it proactively to sort of screen people out who uh, who might might be infected. So so I think you know I think we have to look at it both as a both a reactive and a proactive measure. So um, who should be tested? Obviously, you said school kids uh, because of the situation with the vaccine and and just starting the 5 to 11 cohort. Um, So obviously, it's needed there. The Ontario government has said that they're going to put stuff over Christmas. Do you expect that will change before the holiday and that there'll be some sort of extra testing uh, in with school kids? And, and, And who else do you think should be on that list? Yeah, so 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 definitely, you know, s- s- uh, kids going to school, uh, you know, it would be good to sort of bring it bring it into place uh, before the before the vacation time. Yeah. Uh, but if not, I think you know, as an ongoing measure in the in the new year, will will be uh, you know, sort of if if sort of kids, you know, sort of did a did a weekly test, uh, at least a weekly test, uh, you know, once they're back in school in in uh, in the new year, that would. That would be an additional, you know, safeguard that we could put in place. Uh, outside of you know, workplaces and schools, we're really talking the sort of, sort of the more high risk, what we call congregant settings. So, so wherever wherever you're going to have a lot of people together uh, and potentially in you know sort of indoors and and in close contact, that's that's where you want to sort of implement it. So, so it's uh, you know. It just depends on you know how more widely you want to want to extend that. But I know in you know some countries they they uh, you know they're they're doing it for when people sort of uh, get together for uh, you know uh, sort of uh, for meals and and mm. you know at, at people's houses you know sort of you know uh, people do you know do the testing before they go and uh, and and uh, you know if you if you sort of positive then then uh, you know don't don't turn up for dinner. But uh, you know I think. Overall, the, these tests have have mainly shown more false negatives than false positives. So, uh, so I think you know the the issue of the false positive is is you know I know that that's one reason why they haven't implemented them as as uh, soon as they have. Uh, but but I think that's sort of something that we could we could live with for the benefits of, of implementing it more widely. Thomas Tenkate with us, professor at the School of Occupational and Public Health, Ryerson University, talking about testing uh, COVID-19 at this stage of the pandemic. Thomas, as always, thanks so much for the time. Be well. Uh, thanks very much, Scott. Uh, great to be with you. Well, I don't know whether this is a pandemic thing or just a life thing. And during a pandemic, it's like everything else. Uh, we just focus more on it in a different way. Um, but car theft continues to be a massive, massive problem uh, right the way around the greater Toronto Hamilton uh, area. And th- there doesn't really seem to be any way to protect yourself, even if you've got a state-of-the-art vehicle with some sort of state-of-the-art electronic system uh, and you're putting your, your key 
fob in a, I don't know, metal-plated box or something? Does that help? Uh, it seems that people are still taking cars right out of driveways underneath the noses of video cameras. Uh, it seems to be a regular occurrence, uh, occurrence and <laughs> the camera doesn't seem to be much of a deterrent. Let's bring in Lorraine Sommerfeld, auto writer, post-medium, other load column in the spec, and host of the Lemonade Card Show, uh, Car Show, and is with us now. Lorraine, thanks for the time. I hope you're well. I'm good. How are you, Scott? I'm doing pretty good. So, what are you, are you driving anything now? No, I just drive my own car. <laughs> there's, no, there's nothing to drive. There's nothing on any lots. There's no cars for sale. We've got press cars, but i got nowhere to go. <laughs> I hear you, man. I hear you. All right, so uh, we understand how technology has been a big part of the design of cars. As much goes into that as, as does everything else, especially in today's day and age. We all know how it's made it easier for the driver. How has it made it easier for the car thief? And is there any way to like really protect your vehicle? It's made it phenomenally easier for car thieves. Um, it's also ramped up a lot. We're seeing... The theft now, it's not just kids grabbing your minivan to go joyriding. This is organized crime. It's stealing yeah. trafficking and drug money, and it's going, Interpol is all over. It is a massive issue. So even though you look out in your driveway and go, my car's stolen, insurance replaces it, it's so much more important than that. It is bigger, and most of the stuff's stolen. For years, these lists were always 2006, 2007, a lot of pickup trucks because they yeah. didn't have any theft deterrent. The last few years, it is all new stuff, basically. You have to go way down the list to find the old pickups. And it's in on ships going offshore within 24 hours. It's been taken to Montreal or Halifax, and it's gone. So we've heard that, you know, if you've got a key fob, which is basically a keyless entry, uh, that somehow there's some sort of electronic device that can break that code if it makes connection between your keys and the car, and they literally just start the vehicle up and, and drive away. I mean, is this more common than we know? Oh, it's very common. And all they have to do is one of them will stand beside your vehicle, and it's a signal booster. And so your fob's inside on a hook by the front door like mine, and it just intercepts the signal between the fob and the car, and then they can open it and hop in and go. But actually, that's like old school now. That's old stuff. Um, if you have key fobs, you should keep them in a Faraday pouch or a metal-lined bin or something. But even that, what's happening now, you probably know on your car, I'm not sure what year your car is, I can't remember, but there's an ODB, an onboard diagnostic port right. that looks like a thing you stick a glow yeah. stick in, you know, on your computer. And techs use that to diagnose what's wrong with your car. What they're doing now, <laughs> this is awful, they get it, they get in your car, they go right to that port, they reprogram it for the fobs they have. So your fobs don't even connect to your car anymore. In that moment, they've overridden the code, and they've got their own fobs that now go to that car and they drive away. Wow. And so they don't even need, you know, usually when you stole a car, somebody would like to buy it with the key fobs, right? Now they yeah. don't even have to worry about that because they're making their own. They your reprogram keys aren't even connected. They're it's not even connected. Anymore. And I also heard something about uh, like a tracking device. Like they, you know, they used to be they'd case your house, case your driveway, what have you. Um, now, if they see your car like in a shopping mall parking lot, they'll put like a tracking device on it and, t and follow it to your home. Well, they they do that, and this is kind of a dual-edged sword because if you have OnStar or Apple Air AirPlay, yeah, there's a tracking device that Apple has. I'm sorry. It's gone out of my brain and a lot of people put those on going at least i can track my car if it's stolen nope they override that in 10 seconds 
while they're doing everything else, they've already taken that signal away. So save your money on. Is it better just to, Lorraine, is it better just to go back to the dang key? Stick it in the Oh, I've argued this. I write a column every year about keys. I want keys back. I can't stand these fobs. I think they're dangerous and stupid. And I do not like them. And there's so many cases in the States where people haven't turned off their car all the way and then they've died of carbon monoxide poisoning. So the manufacturers don't have to get ahead of that, consider the safety stuff. But as fast as they make changes, especially on security, the hackers in half a day can undo years of work that the manufacturers do. You're driving a computer. That's the only way. You wouldn't leave your computer sitting in your driveway. You were turned on. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So you want, is there any, any sort of, uh, reason to go back to the key? Is that just outdated? I mean, that's not going to solve the problem. I would like it for safety. I think people, I, I think anyone I talk to would rather have keys. And I talk to a lot of people. And I think when the key, the push button came out, it was like, oh, that's really posh, right? Now it's yeah, really. But <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. it's one step beyond the crank, really, when you think oh, yeah. about it. <laughs> Go to a race it. car. Exactly. Wow. This is gonna, it's going to be interesting to see how the auto industry and the insurance industry handle this uh, moving mm-hmm. forward. Lorraine Sommerfeld with us, auto writer, post-media, mother load column in your Hamilton Spectator. Uh, Lorraine, as always, thanks so much for the time. Be well. Talk to you again. You too. Bye. We're getting uh, some calls on this. Uh, we'll pass it along. Jerry's on the line telling us about his experience. Hey, Scott. Uh, just calling from Ancaster, although it wasn't one of my vehicles, but we had two neighbors uh, living in an older section, and both of them had Land Rovers, and these two cars were probably about six houses apart. And both of them disappeared probably in about the same hour in the middle of the night, and Fortunately, they were found three days later, already loaded onto a container ship in Toronto. So that's how far it happens. Fortunately, um, uh, both neighbors got their cars back, uh, and there was no damage done to them. But that's that's how fast it is. They have a list of cars they they need to get, and bingo, they get them. Incredible. And, I mean, how many times have you heard a story like that? Uh, thanks, Jerry. I mean, it, it is very, very common. And the technology has just um, uh, made it a gateway now for, for those who uh, who want to use the technology for, for evil and not good. So, you know, what do you do? Do you go back to the key? Do you go back to the key? And where's my club? Remember you used to get those things from Canadian Tire, the club thing? I think I had one like uh, 20 years ago. Uh, is that the way to go? I think the best thing to do. Uh, in order to stop car thieves is uh, hang on to your car with a manual transmission because that seems to be the biggest deterrent. Uh, they can get in. They just can't get it to move uh, because there is no electronic device uh, with a manual transmission that shifts gears. That's called an automatic transmission, and that seems to be the biggest deterrent at this point, uh, a clutch. A clutch is the, is the safest thing for your car at this point. If it's happening now, we're talking about it. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. The, the two Michaels uh, are on bail right now, according to uh, the, uh, the criminal law in, in China. And so we want to make sure that uh, we, uh, we work that out with the Chinese government. It will be a priority. So that's uh, finance, or sorry, Foreign Affairs Minister Melanie Jolie yesterday. 
uh, on the CBC talking about working things out with the uh, government of China. I guess that's the Chinese Communist Party, which considers the two Michaels free on bail. Now, I can certainly see the Chinese saying that because they'll sell anything to sell uh, their message to their people, which are very have no information from the outside world. Uh, it's channeled through the Chinese Communist Party. So I can understand the Chinese selling some song and dance uh, to their poor people who, who, who just don't know what's going on in the rest of the world. But for a foreign affairs minister to, to say on TV during an interview that, uh, that they're out on bail and that they still have work to do with the Chinese government, what does that mean? Are they going back? It, it just makes no sense, and relative, and really it is, I, I think, surprising to a lot of Canadians. Let's bring in Charles Burton, senior fellow, Center for Advancing Canada's Interests Abroad at the Macdonald Laurie Institute. Uh, Charles, thank you for the time. We've just played the clip of the foreign affairs minister saying that, uh, that using the phrase that the two Michaels are on bail, out on bail, and that they're working on something with, with the government of China. What does that mean? Well, we don't really know, and unfortunately the minister hasn't clarified this, but, you know, the two gentlemen are called to Ottawa where they have a meeting uh, with the Minister of Foreign Affairs, or Global Affairs it's called now, um, among others, and we don't know what they were talking about, but this notion that we have to resolve something is certainly disturbing. I mean, it's uh, reasonable that, you know, and it has been precedent that when foreign nationals are released from Chinese prisons, that the jailers make them sign a paper saying, I won't talk about what happened while I was in incarceration. But, you know, that piece of paper is uh, is uh, worthless because obviously it's obtained under duress and therefore has no binding uh, value. You know, in other words, if I signed such a piece of paper, I'd be quite happy to write my prison memoir the day after I got back to Canada without any, any sense that I violated any trust. In this case, it appears that it may be that um, Ambassador Barton gave the Chinese authorities some sort of official commitment on behalf of Canada that, um, that um, Kovrick and Sp- favor would not uh, reveal what had happened to them during their, uh, their hellish experience, you know, which would probably include accounts of uh, torture under interrogation. The Chinese might make up some something, well, you know, they were involved in a national security issue, and therefore we want you to keep that confidential. But, you know, our government's position is that they were arbitrarily detained. Nobody thinks that they were involved in any spying, and the Chinese provided no evidence to this effect. So from that point of view, if Mr. Barton had made such a commitment, it would appear that, you know, until we get more clarification that the government of Canada is trying to shut up Kovrigan's favor while they're here, which I guess, um, you know... Why would any of this matter now, though, Charles? Simply because they're out of the country and the Huawei CFO is back there. So, you know, I can certainly understand the Chinese selling this to their people because they want them to believe what the Chinese Communist Party, you know, says. But I can't, I can't understand why a foreign affairs minister would say this on Canadian soil. Absolutely. I mean, that's the thing. If there, I mean, if there was a diplomatic note sent, 
uh, you know, to hell with it, in my point of view. Simply tell them, well, you know, we can't control our citizens, and they decided that uh, they didn't want to uphold this deal that we made, uh, you know, while they were while they were uh, uh, guarded by by men with uh, with guns uh, uh, being held against their will. Um, you know, sorry, they're going to they're going to write their memoir. Um, whether you know, for example, Mr. Kovrig decided that he wanted to um, to talk about the experience or to or to publish a book, and the government wants to stop him would be uh, you know something that we'd all be interested in knowing. And I think from the from the point of view of certain elements, um, you know, who want to encourage the restoration of of uh, intensive trade engagement. Um, any information that might come out about what Kovrig's favor went through uh, would, uh, you know, would put a bit of damper on that plans because we would all be so outraged at what the Chinese regime may have done to them that we wouldn't want to be doing anything with that awful regime anymore. So, you know, it, 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 there's certainly a lot of issues there that I think uh, we would very much like to see clarified by the government. And I think Canadians have a right to know what the basis was for... And, and let's be serious here, Charles. If these two individuals can't speak because of what China says, that's one thing. You know, that's, that's the Chinese Communist Party. But if they can't speak because of what the Canadian government says, they're still being held hostages. They're still being tortured, yeah. albeit on their own soil. Yeah, that we that our government is essentially acting as agents of uh, repressive forces of the Chinese regime, which is not something that Canadians want our government to be doing. No question about that. So I, I like clarity on this matter because it certainly doesn't smell right to me. Is uh, now let me ask you this because we have got very little time left. Is this a faux pas on a very new foreign affairs minister? This seems like a a uh, a, a pretty sophomore mistake here. Well, I think, I mean, I, I don't know if she's under instruction from the Prime Minister or other elements. Uh, my impression is that she is not uh, the strongest figure in determining what Canada does internationally, but I think it may have been that Mr. Barton thought this is a great way to put this, uh, what he referred to, emotional uh, incident behind us and get on with uh, with business as usual. And, and if he had agreed to such a to such a thing um, and feels that, that, you know, we issued a diplomatic note and therefore it's binding on Canada, I think that that is a mistake. You know, I, I, don't, I don't think we ought to put up with anything like that, and I don't think there's a single person in Canada that wants Mr. Kovrig and Mr. Saber not to be able to, to do whatever they want now that they're back in Canada. And that includes providing information that's embarrassing to the government of China or the government of Canada. So be it. It'll be fascinating to see if they are uh, allowed to speak. And oddly enough, for the last several weeks, we've been asking, why haven't the two Michaels spoke up? So there you go. Charles Burton with a Senior Fellow, Center for Advancing Canada's Interests Abroad at the McDonald laurie Institute. Charles, as always, thanks so much for the time. Fascinating. Be well. Take care. If you want to throw something on the big uh, round table, uh, feel free to do so. Send us a note, Scott Thompson at 900CHML.com. Uh, we'll start with the poll question of the day because that's what we always do. Uh, are you changing your buying habits? Do- oh, by the way, sorry, I forgot. Good afternoon, table. I hope you're all doing well.
Well, you know, you don't include us, but yeah, we're fine. Speaking for both of us. It's fine. We're fine. We're fine. We're good. You know, matters oh, clearly man. out the window during this segment. Yeah, okay. exactly. Like, get on the bus and sit down and be quiet. No, it's terrible. Are you changing your buying habits due to higher prices? Sixty percent on the poll question are saying yes. Ted, you want to weigh in on this? No, we're not changing because we're always looking for um, you know the best price and you yep. know um, some, you're ahead of the curve. Some, sometimes it does get annoying because. So like my wife would say, okay, go to this store to get this, go to this store, you know, yeah. whatever. <laughs> I'm wasting gas. That's not the point. Go and get the, uh, so, you know, we do that as opposed to the one huge shopping that I've seen people were like going, they drop You know, like that's what they say, bucks. Ted. That's yep. what they say. I heard an economist speak on this today, that you're better to go a couple of times a week for little short stints as opposed to the one big one, because then you're more likely to get a better price. Once, um, once again, people should listen to the Wiley veteran in the afternoon. You know, I just What are we going to do after? Wednesday. Uh, I don't know. That's... Can we phone you and just <laughs> do an Ask Ted segment? We don't know what to do. I know what to do. Let's dial Ted up. Uh, Diana, your thoughts on the higher prices? Um, It's not really affecting me too much. I never really do a big Christmas shop. What I tend to do is just order some things here and there. Mainly I do online shopping, but then I'll also try to support, you know, the little local shops. I what really... about groceries? Groceries? Um, not really a problem because I don't really host Christmas, so that's all, you know, <laughs> on the people that are hosting it. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I mean, we definitely do buy, you know, excess chocolate, wine, you know, stuff just to give and have when people come over in the holidays. So not really seeing a, a spike yet, but it is concerning for sure. Well, changing what you're buying. Uh, no, Groceries? No, I'm a mooch, so I'm set for life. Um <laughs> Yeah, nice. I, yeah. <laughs> Mom's fridge. Thank you. Mom's friends. Anyone? Ted Michaels. That's why he blocked me, so I can't phone him. But <laughs> uh, yeah, no. Uh, one way or another, uh, uh, it's better to plan on it, and it's better to plan on changing uh, your buying habits when prices like this start to change, because it's going to affect you. If you're not already planning on it, you're going to get forced into a new position. So yeah, I'm t- I'm paying closer attention to things and just adjusting as we go. All right, uh, somebody on the newscast mentioned the Ikea monkey, and uh, boy, good old Dave Woodard, uh, Global News, did he draw the sh- uh, short straw? you got to do the monkey story today, Dave. <laughs> 12 I think years, one. You, 12 years uh, you, after the fact. You, you nine, it was nine. to Sunderland. <laughs> Uh, and, and oddly enough, uh, an emailer uh, sent us a note said, I'd like to see you guys talk about the Ikea oh, monkey. there we go. So do, do one of you newsies remember this whole story? I think it was a lady uh, who had a pet monkey, yep. and it was dressed up, and it escaped. Yeah, it escaped uh, 12 years already. And, you know, we... <laughs> no, nine. actually, sorry. Nine, nine years. The it was 2012, gone. so it was nine years. Yeah, thanks, Diana. Um, I didn't even remember Darwin until Woodard brought up the story today. <laughs> Must be a slow news day, Dave. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm Not thinking. 10 years or 15. Right. Nine. I know I'm new, yeah. but i got to chase the monkey story. Come on. Uh, do you remember this, Diana? Of course I remember it. Who doesn't remember that? It was wearing a shearling coat. Yeah. You I, know, yeah, and it was, very odd coat. it was just... It was quite the day when I remember seeing that photo. I said, like, what do we do with this? I was well, in a... Oh, sorry. Uh, no, go ahead, Will. Apparently, uh, he's doing quite well now in yeah. the sanctuary. But I wonder if he's still wearing the coat. <laughs> well, I think he's got a new coat. 
I bet everybody else in the sanctuary has a coat now. I know. All the other monkeys now have one. I know. Got to keep up with Darwin. I remember I was at uh, Mohawk College working at, uh, in the radio, you know, and this was a gift. When this story broke and you were doing a, a rock station, it was like, yes, here we go. This is this is what we need. But uh, I, what I think is funny is that, you know, that picture of the monkey, which we all remember, uh, floated floating around the internet. It's still yeah. out there. It's a meme. But the kids don't even remember it. I had, Ted, you'll be with me on this. I had to give my second cousin a history lesson because that kid was using the monkey meme and didn't even know the story. That's part of our Canadian heritage. That that Ikea monkey, it needs its <laughs> own it's history segment. Moment. So if it was a history lesson, you might say it was Darwin's theory of evolution. Oh, yeah! uh, I, mic drop. Uh, Ted can uh, retire yes, today. He's, uh, he's gone. He's out of the room. Just a cloud of dust. Just uh, what the, about... What so, about pets? Sorry, go ahead. Go I ahead. was just going to say one line in the story says that he has grown up to be a, quote, handsome young monkey. <laughs> Good for Darwin. he's naked now? There's no coat on? What does that mean? No. He's added something else to his ensemble? He's got a tie now. And a hat. Uh, what about uh, people with pets and coats? Uh, you know, we've seen everybody walking out now, uh, walking around the neighborhood more in the COVID-19 uh, pandemic. Hopefully still doing that, getting exercise and such. A lot of people buying pets, dogs. But but man, you see a lot of people, and they've got like the the, uh, the coat or the um, the uh, what do you call it the the shoes for the dog. Uh, what about pets and coats? Do they need these, or is this just a fashion statement? Ted, uh, I don't know because I haven't had a, had a, a pet in years. So I, you know, Did they, you ever had a you have have you ever had a pet? Yeah, I had three cats. They died. I had a dog too. Um, Penny, who ended up getting really sick, as my dad insisted on giving coffee and donuts every morning. <laughs> it's true. It's oh, true. that true poor, poor it's animal. Like it was rather corpulent toward the end. I wouldn't have wanted to stoop and scoop after that, Dad. Again, that's for sure. So, yeah. uh, do you have you got pets? Do you not, uh, Diana? Do they have outfits? I wish they would wear them. I would have them in sweaters all the time. But they're cats, and they obviously don't enjoy that. Uh, we do get festive collars for them every season so we have halloween callers <laughs> we have holiday callers for them and they like that they're fine with that they're, they're okay with that because they're used to the collar and the little bell i get it for the dogs though because some dogs you know they're not necessarily built for the winter like huskies right. obviously got the fur but you don't want to see a chihuahua walking around in minus 15 just you know his naked little body there you want to put a little sweater on him <laughs> <laughs> you know what? It, I got a lot because we have a dog that was supposed to be 40 pounds and ended up being 85. So I, I oh, rest coffee my case and donuts. There. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. But it's funny. I see people with little wee dogs and they're out walking them. And then as you do a, the circle around the block, then they're carrying them. And I'm thinking, well, Cause you know. Because their paws are probably so cold. Well, I think this is even in the summertime because oh. the, the, the little wee dogs, you know, you'd be better taking them and putting them on like a hamster wheel than you would trying to walk them around the block. Yeah. Because I guess they get tired. So how could you put a, a dog that's only six inches high in a, in snow? I mean, that would, uh, you'd, lo- would you'd, you'd lose yeah. them. You'd just Pepper, see the, where did you go? Where, where, where? <laughs> exactly. Oh, my. All of a sudden, it's gotten ugly. All right. Uh, we'll leave it at that. Uh, thank you again. Big round table. Uh, Ted Michaels, Diana Weeks, and, of course, Will Erskine. You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML. We've talked a lot over the course of uh, 90 weeks of a global pandemic, something like that, and 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 how we've all got through it and, and what we've had to do. And, and at this point, even with uh, Omicron, 
the Omicron uh, variant, uh, we still seem to be forging ahead and making gains as more and more people get vaccinated. And we're seeing that with business. More and more businesses are opening up and starting to get uh, at least some bucks coming in the door so uh, they can pay their staff and move forward. Uh, the big problem seems to be now is a massive labor shortage, a, especially with small businesses trying to get people, uh, including retail to, to work and, and, and fill jobs so they can meet the demand of the customers. Let's bring in Corinne Pullman, Senior Vice President of National Affairs with the Canadian Federation of Independent Business and with us now. Corinne, thanks for the time. I hope you're doing well. I'm doing well. Thanks. And thanks for having me. Uh, we've heard of this issue for uh, a few months now that, uh, that people were, were not coming back to, to the labor force, the workforce. Uh, obviously the, the problem hasn't resolved itself. What are you hearing from small business? Well, um, it's actually become, uh, quite tricky these days. Uh, over 50% of our members are telling us that they're having a problem finding people and getting all the staff that they need to continue to keep their businesses uh, as full, as full capacity as possible as they can right now. So it's, uh, quite, it's quite a high amount. It's actually higher than it was pre-pandemic and we were dealing with a labor shortage then. And we're finding it's even more severe today. Um, and that's probably for a lot of different reasons, right? Uh, some of it, coming stemming back to what was going on before the pandemic but some of it being of course the fact that so many people were laid off and then brought back and then laid off and brought back again so i think there's a lot of businesses now competing for the same pool of labor and a lot of that labor has decided to move into new areas or new industries um, uh, but as you said as you said corinne they were competing with those same industries prior to the pandemic so is it people just deciding to change and and not come back maybe pursue another avenue uh get more education what have you why is there a shortage yeah it's all of the above i think um but you know layered on top of that is canada has an aging population we knew that uh, even without a pandemic, we would be facing these kinds of labor shortages. It's just a bit to an extreme right now because instead of having businesses lay people off and on on a variable basis, they're all sort of doing it at the same time, right? So it makes it just that much more acute uh, that we're dealing with right now. And so that is, I think, a bit of what we're facing. Um, and so it, it does make it challenging. And I do think a lot of people who were in some industries had some time to think about going back to school or moving into other areas. And so there is competition in that regard as well uh many will say some will say just pay them more if you want them to show up you got to raise um the wages what is your response to that um and we hear that a lot um and i will tell you that the vast majority of those businesses have been raising wages to try to attract and get uh, as many people as they can in the door because it's really important for them to have the people in order to grow their business but there's a limit to how much they can raise the wages. And many have told us that it hasn't really helped. In fact, uh, even though they've tried to raise the wages as much as they possibly can in order to keep their business competitive, it doesn't always work. In fact, in the majority of cases, it didn't necessarily attract the people that they needed because it was still the wrong skill set um, and or they were still looking for other things. There was just not enough people applying for those jobs. Many have said uh, this is probably earlier in the pandemic uh, when the funds were more available. Uh, you know, obviously the rules have changed since then. But the, the emergency government funds uh, uh, it, it, it uh, impaired uh, people's ability, businesses' ability to attract uh, attract workers that they were obviously just staying home. Has that resolved itself? 
Um, I think it's not as extreme as it once was, for sure. We heard a lot of that anecdotally of business owners who were being told by employees that they were trying to recall back or try to hire new, uh, that they were just saying, you know, as long as there was uh, the CRB or the C or the Canada Emergency Response Benefit, that they were going to choose to stay on that for now. It has ended, though, um, that particular program. So it's uh, it's it's less of an issue today. Um, and it certainly was a, a factor in the early in the sort of last few months before it ended, but I think it's become a bit less of a factor, and some of these other issues have become much more dominant. It appears this is not going away, even as the pandemic is at the stage that it is. How, how do you fix this? What, what do you do moving forward? Yeah, it's it's a dilemma, and it's not unique to Canada. Um, so, but it's one of those things that there's no real silver bullet. It's going to be sort of a broad strategy that's going to have to look at a number of things. Um, part of this, as I said, is a mismatch of skills. Part of it is a labor shortage. So, on the mismatch of skills side, we have to make sure we're investing in training of individuals to make sure that they have the, the skills that the businesses need, and businesses may need help with doing some of that training. We also need to invest in in immigration more and make sure we're bringing in folks into Canada who can match the jobs that we have available as well and make a better connection between the two. That includes temporary foreign workers and helping them become permanent residents and stay in Canada. Um, So there's a number of things. We're also looking at things like automation. A lot of our our members have looked at ways that they can automate some of the functions that they have in order to sort of forego having to Mm. have labor in some of those functions. So there's a lot of different ways that we can particularly look at this, and I think it really requires that sort of broad look. What would you say to someone who is looking for a job right now? I would say uh, you have lots of opportunity. (laughs) So... Um, go and check out uh, what's going on in your neighborhood. I'm sure there are a lot of employers there that would be happy to have you walk in the door and offer your services. Um, if you have a particular skill or you're interested in getting to a certain area, contact those types of businesses that um, uh, offer that particular type of skill or ability. And I'm, I'm sure there'll be some of them in there that'll be interested in uh, talking to you. So uh, it's, it's, it's really an opportunity for folks that are looking to get into the work. Corinne Pullman with us, Senior VP of National Affairs with the Canadian Federation of Independent Business. Small, or sorry, a labor shortage continues to plague uh, all businesses really in uh, country and uh, across uh, North America. Something that was there prior to the pandemic and is only more uh, accentuated right now. Corinne, thanks for the time. Be well. Thank you. You too. All right, so I've told uh, Teddy standing by, right? I was, um, yep. I, I, I t- I've talked about this many times, you know, and, and still doing the show from home, and we don't have the big supply cabinet like Ted and everybody does down at the end of the hallway where you can just go grab pens and papers and such. So I've been trying to come up with scrap paper because I do write notes as I'm, you know, doing stuff. Although, yes, it's most of it's online, but I still like to scribble. So I've been using old show sheets, which for some reason I've been keeping for a 100 years because on the other side they're blank and I can use them as scrap paper. So once again... I have found an old show sheet. This is from Monday, February 8th, 2010, Ted. Mm. You think you've been here a long time. Uh Uh, So anyway, I thought you might know this because this was a hammerhead trivia, which we used to do. Maybe we should bring this back. Uh, Hammerhead trivia, and I thought you might know this. Uh, since you were so excited about the monkey story, although it has no relation to that. Uh, This was a hammerhead trivia on this Monday. Uh, Did you know that former mayor of Hamilton, Lloyd D. Jackson, who was mayor from 1950 to 1962, had a fear of what? Was it A, flying? Was it B, water? Was it C, spiders? Was it D, other politicians? 
I'm going to, and I've, I've never heard this well done, I'm going to suggest spiders. <laughs> Flying. Really? And apparently what happened, and I, I don't have the, no, the story. You, in you don't have to mock me on that one. Jeez, <laughs> my finger slipped. My finger slipped. 50 to 62. We thought we had, you'd have more of a handle on that, Ted. Uh, I remember remember Margaret Houghton from uh, the, the library, the archives department. Man, she used to write some great books on Hamilton. And I, I, every, every time she did one, I'd get one. It had all these great, interesting facts. And that's where a lot of the Hammerhead trivia came from. And I remember reading way back when in one of her books. And I tried to find it now, but I can't find it. Um, and the reason was, I think Hamilton Airport had just opened up. And this would have been in the 19, closer to the 1950 part than the 1962 right. to commercial airlines so remember commercial airlines back in 1950 51 52 it wasn't like it is now um it was it, it was still kind of scary in, in some respect and they certainly wore suit and ties and, and served your food on uh, on plates and such so i think they were flying there was somebody that was flying into uh, regular service in and out of the hammer and i guess they wanted uh some of the dignitaries to go out and, and go up and go for a a, a a fly around the city and and promote this new service that they had air service uh in hamilton and and there's a picture of the mayor standing there beside like one of these old prop planes and 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 the flight attendants, who were then stewardess and you know dressed up in their their uh, you know 1950s outfits and such, and he refused to get on the plane. He goes, no, no thanks. And now you know the rest of the story. Wow. See, I'm. You should always strive to learn something See? every day. Hang on, I'm going to say it now. See? 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 Now, Here to be go. fair, we don't know that he also wasn't scared of spiders. Has a long no, this is, this Oh, well, come on, man. What is this? It's a bit All of a right. stretch, but that's okay. All right. Yeah, and I'm sure he was scared of other politicians. I think everybody is, although we'll leave it at that. All right. Uh, thanks, Ted. Good job. Uh, well, almost. Yeah, well, well, you know, but you were there for the effort, and that's all that's uh, that all that counts. <laughs> all right. Still to come. Still to get someone handed applause there a lot of chatter lately about the beijing olympics coming up in 2022 uh, many were chatting about a boycott it looks like what has happened is a diplomatic boycott uh with america the united states the uk the five eyes basically uh have said they will not send their diplomats there uh china said well they're not invited anyway so but then is is threatened retaliation well if they weren't invited why would you retaliate uh and but but again whether the diplomats go or not what about the athletes and, and how safe is the contingent that we send over there let's bring in phil gursky president of borealis threat and risk consulting director of the university of ottawa security program former CSIS Allen, uh, analyst and author of the book the peaceable kingdom a history of terrorism in canada from confederation to the present phil thanks for the time as always much appreciated hey scott long time i'll talk to so, uh, you know, you, obviously we know what's happening with the boycott uh, of the diplomats and, and such. Are you concerned at all, especially when we're hearing uh, from the uh, uh, from the uh, foreign minister in regard today about the two Michaels being on some sort of bail? What does, uh, are you concerned with the safety of the athletes at all? Maybe. You know, your timing is impeccable, Scott, because I'm actually interviewing a Carleton University professor and journalist who wrote a book about the two Michaels tomorrow morning on my podcast. You know, you, you know what happened to the two Michaels. They were held under horrendous conditions for three years. Uh, fake charges the Chinese invented to get a, get back at us holding the CFO of Huawei. This shows to me they're capable of anything. They don't play by the same rules we do. It's funny, you mentioned the Five Eyes boycotting. And that, of course, is the Anglosphere that I worked very closely with for 32 years. 
And um, the fact that we're all in it together is great. I wish we'd be all, all together in Huawei as well, but that's a whole other issue. Um, I don't want to be, you know, a nervous Nelly here and be too overly dramatic, but China doesn't do things the way that we do. And as a consequence, if they wanted to send a message, whatever message they want to send, I wouldn't put it past them. So I'm not, I'm not expecting it, but I wouldn't put it past them to try to make whatever point it is they're trying to make. Considering the two Michaels, is security any different from the from past uh, Olympics? Are we looking at this differently, considering what happened with the two Michaels? Well, you know, when it comes to the Olympics, of course, we had the, the 72 Munich Olympics. We had the uh, attack by the Palestinian group against Israeli athletes, and several were killed. I, I'm guessing that security is, is as, high as, as high as it possibly can get. And of course, China would be responsible for that. They will have the people in place, whether it's the armed forces or the police or the security service or whatever, to prevent any possibility of an attack. Mind you, China's a pretty screwed down society, so I'm, I'm sure there won't be you know, much probability of that. But what happens when it's the state that is trying to make a point as opposed to a terrorist group? Then it becomes a, a, a bit of a different equation. I don't know. Does the Canadian Olympic Committee have its own things in place? Probably. Um, but they are putting their eggs in the Chinese basket because they are the host country. You know, you're not going to send the RCMP over to China to protect Canadian athletes. You rely on the host country to do that. So I, I guess it depends what kind of mood China is going to be in, uh, you know, come these Olympics. Do you think this story will change between now and February? Who knows? Uh, our relations with China are so up and down right now. I mean, Canadians are justifiably livid over what happened to the two Michaels over three years. Uh, we are criticizing China for its internal policies against the Uyghurs, against the Tibetans, what it's doing in Hong Kong what it's doing in the South China Sea with a so-called nine-dash map where it owns the entire area of the ocean. I don't know, Scott. I mean, we, we may have a different conversation tomorrow morning because China has done something else that is egregious in terms of international rules. You know, I, I feel for the athletes. Had, had there been an athlete boycott, I would have felt for them. They trained their lives, this kind of thing. I'm not sure what a diplomatic boycott really means. Um, it doesn't really serious, but... I don't know. I, I think it's, everything is so unpredictable right now that to say that this is going to happen or that's going to happen would be a rather foolish prediction at this point. We all remember the over 1,000 days and the two Michaels and that whole episode. Many couldn't wait for them to return to hear exactly what was happening. I've asked on this show many times since their release why we haven't heard from them. Now we're hearing uh, today coming uh, out, Foreign Affairs Minister uh, Melanie Jolie uh, clarifies on CBC's P Power and Politics uh, it makes reference to the two Michaels still being on bail as if this was a reason why we're not hearing more. What, you know, I could see China saying that because they'll say anything to their people to sell their message, but I'm very surprised to hear that coming from a Canadian politician. What does that mean? On bail by whom? But exactly. Is put them on bail? Oh, that, that, that's a puzzle to me, Scott. And I dealt with lots of puzzles in my 30, 30 plus years in intelligence. It makes no sense to me. And again, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but are they going to say something that somehow the government might be embarrassed about, i.e. you didn't go to bat for us for three years? I don't know. It seems odd to me they don't have... This, this, is, a, this is a democratic society, Scott. They should be able to say whatever they want, whenever they, whatever they want about what happened to them. For them to be kept under, under wraps doesn't make any sense to me. I can't explain that. I'm sorry. So is the message here, you're free, so keep quiet. I mean, in a sense, they're still being held hostage if they can't speak. Well, and the bigger question is, are we afraid that something you might say might, you know, make relations with China even worse than they are right now, which would suggest that there's still a desire to, to have good relations with China. And this is what the, the book, The Two Michaels, comes out with, is that Canada has 
50 years of trying to you know, kiss up to China, and look where it's gotten us. So if that's the case, it's egregious. Our citizens were treated worse than dirt for three years, and they still can't tell their story. Again, I don't know the reasons behind it, but it doesn't smell right to me, Scott. I, I, would, I would agree with you on that point. Will we know more about this? Is this the end of this story, do you think? The, 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 oh, the, the bail, the, the bail, the, the comment about the bail. I since it shouldn't be the end of the story. I'm hoping that people like you and journalists, you know, dig, 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 dig to find out what's going on here because it makes no sense to me. And let's find out exactly why they're they're being prohibited from talking. Like I said, this is an open society, and if they want to write a book about their experiences, fill your booths. We, we we should hear about what they felt like, you know, in 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 isolation for all that time. They have a right to do so. I don't understand how the government has the power to say that they can't. Uh, so yes, explanations are due, and they're due right now. Phil Gursky with us, president of Borealis Threat and Risk Consulting, director of the University of Ottawa Security Program and former CSIS analyst. Phil, as always, thanks so much for the time. Be well. You too, Scott. Take care. Catch up on the news and information you've missed. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. Uh, as we uh, get out of the back end of this pandemic to whatever the new world is, one thing we have noticed after things were, uh, well, remember the be- back at the beginning of, of the pandemic and the shortages of toilet paper and the price of gas was down. And now, of course, as the economy starts to uh, get traction, things are starting to uh, increase in price. We're hearing about inflation, 4.7, 5% and such. And, you know, chatter of an interest rate height as a result of all this. Poll question of the day uh, for today. Food prices are rising. Do you plan to change your buying habits over 60% of you are saying yes. And we're hearing more information that food prices will climb between 5 and 7% this year, sorry, next year, uh, adding nearly $1,000 a year to the grocery bill of the average family of four, according to estimates from the latest edition of Canada's Food Price Report. To talk more about all of this, Maria Corradini is with us, Associate Professor and RL Chair of Food in Food Quality, University of Guelph, and co-author of the Food Price Report, uh, of 2022 and is with us now maria thank you for the time i hope you're doing well everything good thank you for having me Scott. how much of this maria has to do with the global pa- uh, pandemic and and what we're seeing uh with supply chain issues and and how much of this is just the normal ebb and flow of the economy well we are having uh, several contributors to these increasing food prices uh, labor costs that are driven to a certain extent by the pandemic, uh, we are seeing uh, an increase in uh, labor costs at every stage of the food supply chain, uh, which has to be absorbed by the consumer. There are also uh, logistical problems uh, associated and that are bringing transportation costs, which are also uh, causing an increase um, in the food uh, in the food prices, and they are mostly driven by uh, increase in, fu- in, in, the, in the price of fuel, but also in the availability of transportation services uh, from trucks to, ship, to, to ships. And also there are other effects that, for example, weather events that are not directly um, related to the pandemic, but that are affecting as well the prices that we are seeing and this increase, um, which is the highest that they, we have been predicting uh, over the 12 years that this report has been issued. So in other words, everything is going up, so you're going to see food prices go up. Everything that gets it to your table is going up. Yeah, regretfully, yeah, we don't have good uh, news in that sense. Uh, There are going to be 
uh, and is expecting that we are that there is going to be an increase in uh, salaries, but most probably um, the inflation is going to outpace uh, those increases in salaries. We um, remember. I, sorry, go ahead. No, I think that uh, also the transportation issues are going to progressively uh, improve. However, you know, next year looks a little bleak in terms of food prices. So, uh, again, we remember during whether it's supply chain issues or what have you, and as we're saying, it's, it's pretty much everything now. We saw the price of lumber, for example, go up by three times, which obviously incre- increases prices of homes and such. And then it sort of dropped back down. Do you see this leveling off after 2022 or is this the new norm? Uh, I think that most probably we are not going to see such a high increase. I think that we are seeing the overlapping effect uh, of, as you said, you know, kind of this perfect storm that we are in. Uh, however, you know, we have to remember that the previous year, the increase was 3 to 5%, the one that we predicted, and the actual increase was 3.9%. Uh, so uh, expecting uh, this to level uh, to zero, that's not realistic. Um, but I think that probably we will not be observing something as high as this year. We certainly know how uh, this pandemic has pointed out weaknesses and systems, weak links in the chain, if you will, with, with, with all sorts of things, whether it's healthcare or supply chain or, or technology, chips, what have you. Um, how will this change or will it change the way the grocery in- industry buys and sells and its, its distribution system, you know, same day delivery almost? Uh, we can get part, we can get food from parts of the world, you know, which may take us a day to travel to. So, uh, how is that going to change things moving forward? Will, will this make the system more efficient? Will it change our habits? Well, I think that this is pointing out to a lot of changes that we are overdue uh, in the food industry. Uh, I think that uh, technification, automatization, and also local producing, uh, effective local producing of food uh, is something that is going to help uh, to maintain the prices at a better uh, level uh, in the following years. Um, and we are seeing interesting uh, technological changes that will help uh, these to these these happening, such as, for example, a better integration of data throughout the supply chain, which will um, affect and improve uh, the way that we access our food and reduce waste, uh, reducing also uh, some contribution of waste uh, to uh, the prices that we are observing. Uh, so I think that, you know, sometimes uh, these kind of events that um, pushes us to think a little bit better about what we are doing uh, and uh, improve our system in a, systems in a, a smarter way. Will we still want food from another part of the world when it's off season here, or will be will we be like other parts of the world? I can think of Europe, for example, where you know they don't eat certain things at certain times of the year because they're not in season. Or will we continue to see that demand even though it's not in season? Well, if you ask me, I always want a mango, but <laughs> um, but uh, I think that uh, the consumer is becoming more aware that that puts an extra burden uh, in the uh, food supply chain uh, and also in their pockets. 
so I think that uh, aiming for seasonality uh, and for smart purchasing is something that we uh, can uh, improve. Also, you know, there are options such as, for example, frozen uh, items in order to get a mango smoothie in best, in, instead of a fresh mango. That is an option mm. uh, in the winter months, and that will provide us with um, a, the same kind of pleasure at a lower price. What about the whole buy local movement, Maria? How has that changed this? Does it fit into this at all? Yeah, I think that, you know, uh, people are um, are voicing that they want to purchase local. Um, however, the, um, the purchasing uh, power and the... Um, and people gravitating towards local food is not as strong as what is voice. But I think that that's going to continuously change and people are going to become much more aware that uh, buying local uh, is an option. Of course, there are going to be also additional options uh, in order to have local foods uh, at reasonable prices um, and available throughout the year. Um, that uh, are being available because of technological advances that were not before. Mm. Uh, so, for example, getting greens uh, from a vertical farm that is uh, local uh, now is something that is becoming uh, almost a reality everywhere. Maria Corradini with us, Associate Professor in Food Quality with the University of Guelph and co-author of the Food Price Report for 2022. Maria, thanks so much for the time. Be well. Thank you so much, Scott. Bye. Somebody called Will and said, you're not playing enough Christmas music yet. Really? Uh, didn't we play one the last week? <laughs> didn't we play something in the beginning of the week? Didn't Diana pick a Andy Williams song or something? All right, we'll get on it. We'll get on more of the Christmas. You know, the lights are up, so why not have the Christmas music? All right. Uh, feel free. Send us a note. Scott Thompson at 900CHML.com. Phone lines are always open. Looking for your last word. 905-645-3221. Star 9900 on your cell. Let's bring in Scott Radley, host of the Scott Radley Show. You can hear him coming up after the 6 o'clock news. Also columnist with your Hamilton Spectator. Scott, good afternoon. I hope you're doing well. I'm doing well. Was that the was that Engelbert Humperdinck? I think it was. It was Johnny Mathis. Oh, Johnny. Johnny you know, Mathis. You know, Engelbert Humperdinck is not his real name. Which is stunning. His real name is Arnold Dorsey. Who would change their name from Arnold Dorsey to Engelbert Humperdinck? Well, I guess Engelbert Humperdinck sounds more interesting. And people... Every, I don't know, maybe at a time it did. Every time I hear Humperdinck now, I think of the uh, Prince Humperdinck in Shrek. So now it has become sort of a joke, but... uh, Conway Twitty, the country singer, the country legend. I think his name was Harold Jenkins. So how would you get Conway Twitty out of that? Some of these stage names, I think they, uh, you know, we hear these stories of substance use among celebrities. You wonder sometimes. <laughs> I think it was just too much hairspray. They had the hair, you know, the big hair. They had that big hair. Yeah. And I think just too many, too much fumes from the uh, from the hairspray. Well, All right. That's the case, how did Wayne Newton not change his name? <laughs> we don't know, do we? Do we know? Maybe Wayne Newton's not his real name. Maybe know. it was we'll, we'll maybe, research. Maybe it was Nain Wooten. <laughs> All right. Could be. Our, okay, poll question of the day. Are you yes. changing your buying habits due to higher prices? You're a family man. You're a father. Have you noticed that the prices, the food, well, everything's going up now, but have you have you started to notice it at the grocery store? Um, so I don't do a ton of the grocery shopping. Not that Me I'm neither. not willing. 
Not that I'm not willing to, I'm very happy to, yeah. but my wife has um, concluded, and I think accurately so, that when I grocery shop, what comes home uh, is sometimes the essentials, but a lot of stuff we don't need that um, probably we shouldn't be eating. So I'm, I'm when you go, when you do the shopping, you go off the list. Is that what you're saying? Because what happens with me is I just give me the list. I'll get whatever you want. Well, oh, no. it's more than just the list. You've got to go off the list. Oh, I go way off the list. See, and that's not me. I stick to the list, and I, that's all I come home with, and that's not right, apparently. No, this is why we have an entire half cupboard downstairs filled with hot sauces that haven't even been opened <laughs> yet and, uh, and other things. So. Um, so you're yeah. one of those guys, you'll get there and you'll start meandering down the aisle. See, I'm in and out in 10 minutes. It's just checking off the list. Oh, no. I, 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 well, see, I, my intention is to stick with the list. Yeah. But um, like a four-year-old with the attention span of a gnat, I see someone go, oh, look at that. That's, you know, <laughs> who knew they had grape-flavored Pop-Tarts? Got to get a couple boxes of those. And- really? Oh, absolutely. I had no I- idea you were such a fiend in the grocery store. And... Yeah, so I'm not really most days allowed. My, in fact, my wife jokes about it that I get out. If I if I if I'm out of the house and I I got loose, um, and uh, you know she'll know because the 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 debit you know thing will yeah. register on our bank. It's like oh he got loose. You get so, the red flag warning. Uh, yeah, so I but I am I am let's put it this way I'm not completely out of touch even though I don't do that. I am aware. Uh, of the prices going up, and certainly the one area in particular, and this is not new, uh, I am the only person in my house really who will still eat red meat on occasion. We don't eat a ton of it, but you mm. go to buy a steak yeah. now, even go to Costco yeah. or something to buy a yeah. steak, and um, you may be trading one of your organs for a cow's organ because yeah. uh, it is like you got to you got to sell it onto the black market to get the money. It is really expensive now to buy a steak or to buy any kind of red meat. It is crazy. So, who's on the show tonight? We are talking. What are we doing tonight? We are talking. The big one is, or one of the first thing. Um, there is, I think, did I mention this on your show before? There's a Hamilton guy who's an RCMP officer who uh, who has been very fortunate. He's the guy who gets to carry the Grey Cup into the stadium. Oh, cool! On Sunday. He's a, a, a life. He's a Hamilton guy, East Ender, lifetime diehard Ticat fan. Grew up and. Uh, he is the guy who gets to be bringing the cup in. So we're going to be talking to him. That's a great job. I remember interviewing the guy that did the Stanley Cup. I mean, what a, what a great Pritchard. thing. Yeah. yeah, Phil Pritchard from Burlington So uh, is the Stanley Cup guy with the white gloves. And, yes. um, you know, it is, uh, it is a fantastic gig. But I'll say this. Um, when I, I wrote about the, the RCMP officer for the paper, and the one thing, and yes, they do think about it, the one thing, don't drop it, don't fall. Yes, <laughs> yeah, really. It's a wonderful tradition. It's a fantastic thing until you're the guy who misses a step and drives the Grey Cup bouncing down the stairs onto the lower level. Then, not, you, you, know, you, you not don't so want to be the Grey Cup guy, that, the Grey Cup handler that makes the, <laughs> it makes the highlight reel. That's the last thing you want to do. Exactly, exactly. So we'll be talking to him uh, right off the bat tonight. All right, Scott Radley, host of the Scott Radley Show, coming up right after the news, and you can read him in your Hamilton Spectator. Scott, as always, have a great show. Thanks, Scott. Thanks for listening to the Hamilton Today podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday afternoons from 3 to 6 on 900CHML and online at 900CHML.com. It's a wrap for us. Thanks for listening. As always, greatly appreciated. Thanks to Will and Ted and Diana for contributing today. And as always, we leave it to you, the great CHML listener, to have the last word on the PM. I agree with Scott that Justin is not like his father. His father was a no-nonsense guy. He said what he felt. Ask Ted what Buddle Duddle meant, and we'll go from there. Thank you. Oh, he's a cheeky one.